When I'm preparing to get on a flight, I'm constantly juggling tons of preparation questions in my head like, what will the weather be like there? How many bags can I bring? And what will the plane configuration be like? Thankfully, App in the Air makes this easy for us. Just upload your flight information and get access to tons of tracking features with the free version and even more with App in the Air Pro. Check out App in the Air and get 20% off of your next flight, up to $50 off per booking, when you book directly through the app using the code GeoBreeze at checkout. Thank you to App in the Air for partnering with this episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. So a food tour is a great way to get to know the city. In Old San Juan specifically, spoon tours, like the utensil, they are phenomenal and they will do a really good job of taking you around the city. They'll take you to taste mofongo, um, a famous, you know, ice cream, different avocados, uh, tostones, pastries. It's really wonderful. And they give really great context about the architecture, the history, everything in general. They're just a really well done tour. And there's also so many food spots around the island, right? Like you have the pork trail, the lechon trail in Guabate, which is in the mountains. And so you go and there's lots of different shops and they all sell pork and they have live music and it can be really bustling during the weekends. There's places like Navuavo where you can go and there's a bunch of different like restaurants that just serve seafood because the fishermen go there. And so they'll also sell you the seafood itself if you just want to buy ingredients um, for your own cooking. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Jen Ruiz from Jen on a Jet Plane. Jen is a lawyer turned full-time travel writer and author. She is a five-time Amazon bestseller, three-times TEDx speaker, and two-time award-winning travel journalist. She documents her adventures on her website, Jen on a Jet Plane. In this episode, Jen and I discuss how to use points and miles to travel to and within Puerto Rico, where she currently resides. This episode is particularly special to me because I actually had my destination wedding in Puerto Rico years before I knew about points and miles. We got married in a boutique hotel, and one of the most popular ways to book boutique hotels on points is by using Capital One Miles. If you are looking for more upgraded travel experiences, check out the Capital One Venture X, which comes with lounge access, a $300 travel credit to use through the portal, top-tier rental car status with Hertz, and more. Remember, please never ever apply for a credit card through Google. Always use a friend or creator's links to support them. If you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out geobreezetravel.com slash cards. And we have a link to the Capital One Venture X in the show notes for you as well. And now, on with the show. Hey, Jen, welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Excited to have you here and to chat about how to do Puerto Rico on Points and Miles. It's a place that's very near and dear to my heart because I had my destination wedding there back a few years ago. So it was before my husband and I knew about Points and Miles. We could have saved so much money because as everyone should know, if you can put all of your wedding spend on credit cards, you can get your honeymoon for free. We did not know how to do that yet, but now anybody listening is going to know how to do that. So 
Very excited to chat with you about that. But before all of this, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how did you get into the game of Points and Miles? Absolutely. Well, first off, green wedding destination right there. It sounds like that was such a memorable experience. Definitely Puerto Rico has that and so much more. It's why I chose to move here. I actually was born here in Puerto Rico and I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to law school in the University of Maryland and I practiced law for several years before I took a 12 trips and 12 months challenge the year before my 30th birthday while still working full time. And I realized that I really enjoyed traveling, that I could make a living traveling because I started to take blogging seriously. That year I attended my first blogger conference. And by the end of that year, I had self-published my first book on finding affordable flights. Part of the way that I was able to afford all of those trips was by finding affordable flights. Because if I was paying, you know, a couple thousand dollars to get anywhere, I would have never been able to take that many trips. So how did you get into the world of credit cards and learning that you could just travel for free or next to no cost by using points and miles? That was definitely, I was a late bloomer to this because I grew up in a Puerto Rican family. And so credit cards were really frowned upon and they were used, you know, as a fear tactic. Like you don't want to get into debt and you don't want to spend money that you don't have. And you always want to, you know, spend on your debit card. And so going into college, my mom didn't really encourage me to get any credit, to build my credit in any way. I ended up going rogue and getting a Victoria's Secret credit card that I ended up going to collections for, for like an $80 bra that I didn't, you know, I moved apartments. So I never got the bill because I had in college, I moved like once a year. I had so many different apartments. And so my initial exposure to credit was really negative and fear-ridden and thinking that this is something that I didn't want to interact with. And so once I got into law school and I realized this whole other world that I was going to be a part of, you know, I was taking on these massive student loans. I started to want to become more knowledgeable about credit, but it really wasn't until travel became the incentive where I was like, okay, it's serious now. Like we really got to learn because it's not like this boring finance stuff. Like now it's actually the secret to affording these amazing vacations. So now there's a lot more on the line and it makes it much more incentivizing. And I thought of all the people that, you know, do extreme couponing and they do all of this work just to get like five free bars of deodorant. And I thought, you know, why can't I do this work to get like a free trip to somewhere amazing around the world? Like, and so that was something where once I started the travel challenge, I went to the library and I took out, this was in 2017. I took out every single book I possibly could from the travel section. I started reading Scott's Cheap Flights books. He had two books that before he published with the publishing company that he's with now. And he was just so straight to the point and knowledgeable. And I got on his list early. And so I started already interacting with him from years and years ago. And I learned a lot of his strategies for finding affordable flights. I went to a conference called ZorkFest. And that's like a conference about points and miles. It was held in, in Vegas in 2018. And I that's when I first attended some sessions that just completely blew my mind where I was like, whoa, this isn't even, it doesn't sound like they're speaking my language. Like it sounds super crazy and complicated and like so many 
different ways that you get from like point A to like point Z. And you somehow have managed to do all of this and now get this amazing deal and all this money back. And, you know, so it just seemed really enticing, but a little bit complicated. And so the way that I got into it was just by having small, easy wins. So I started with my very first credit card and I was like, we can do this. We can pay it. Like we can make sure we get the bills and we can stay on top of it. And so my first credit card was a JetBlue card. It was because I was based out of South Florida and JetBlue has a lot of routes from South Florida to South America, to a lot of different places in, you know, the Caribbean and Central America. And so my very first experience with points and miles redemption was using JetBlue points to get a flight to Aruba round trip for $70. And I Aruba wasn't even on my radar until I had those points. And JetBlue had a special because they were launching this new route to Aruba from Fort Lauderdale. And so I was able to take advantage of that special sale deal, which corresponded to less points and miles and get that round trip fare for credit card sign-up bonus. And I thought, wow, like I did it. I, yay, you know, like just baby steps. And that's how I, I started. And then I just grew from there. And now I've since, you know, collected and churned through the cards and I've been learning as I go, always trying to keep it to my benefit. And now it's to the point where I no longer fear credit and I embrace having, you know, all these different accounts and having a large credit limit and, and having available credit. And so, and I don't fear charging things on my card. You know, it's prime day tomorrow and I'm going to charge a $2,000 laptop on that card. And I'm going to do so happily for the points I'm going to get. And so that's something now where I feel like there's been a complete mindset shift that is really important for children of like immigrant families, you know, families that come from the island culture where that's just not really encouraged. And I feel much more empowered now that I've done that. And speaking of becoming empowered, tell us a little bit about your career shift because you went to law school, you became a practicing lawyer, and then you moved towards becoming a travel writer. And now you get to do that full time. So tell us a little bit about the career transition and how did that go down with telling your family all of that too? Yeah. So it was a very interesting year. And I think, you know, when you do everything right, I think a lot of overachievers can relate to this. Like you follow all the steps and then you do all the things and you get to the end and you're like, wait, I've been duped. Like this is not, there's no, there's no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. And it's just like a miserable, like over and over existence, you know, and it, it feels like there should be more to it. And I am, so many of us are made to think that there's only one path to success. And it's, you know, engineer, doctor, lawyer, like be these prestigious professions and, you know, chase that big money. And I did that. And I had a lot of satisfaction from the work that I did as well, because I worked both in the private firm and I worked in a nonprofit. You know, I had a 16th story office in Fort Lauderdale with floor to ceiling windows and all of the amenities of being in a private office. And I also felt like I was really helping humanity when I worked at the nonprofit. And in neither, like in either, in either case, it didn't feel like it was it for me, right? It just didn't feel like it where it was where I saw myself being permanently. And I saw so many people 
that in law specifically just get stuck and then they get stuck in a more expensive lifestyle and another car that they've taken out. And, you know, now the financial obligations are so much that they feel they can't leave. And I just had all of this pressure culminating around the milestone birthday of 30. And it like was like, get out now. Or like, like you may drop forever. And it'll be like 30 years later and you'll be this miserable lawyer who's just like angry at the world because you've seen so many of like the world's worst cases is real, which is what happens to lawyers. You kind of have to disconnect emotionally to be able to make it through. And a lot of people taunt lawyers for that and call them like soulless and all that stuff. But it can be really heavy work if you don't, you know, detach yourself. I was taking at some point, you know, 12 to 15 different hearings a week of just different, you know, really emotionally heavy cases. And so it can be a lot. And I realized that what I really loved about it was being able to tell the story of these people to the judges, to the jury, and that that's the similar thread now that I love about being a travel writer, right? Like I can find these unheard voices and I can help shed light on them and I can make sure that they're seen by the world. You know, there's some street art projects here in Puerto Rico that are phenomenal and that are completely making over entire neighborhoods with these bright colors of hope. And they're making, you know, the entire residential neighborhood that was once neglected into this now rejuvenated spot where all the neighbors take pride in it. And it's like one cohesive mural. And I was able to write an article about that, you know, get them featured in a TV show, like a lot of different publicity that I bring to causes that I've seen as really wonderful and people and businesses around the world that are just amazing. So I get so much satisfaction out of what I do now. And I realized, you know, I, I loved writing as a lawyer, persuasive writing. I do writing now as a travel writer. Um, it's actually a lot more dif- difficult now as a travel writer because I feel like there's so much pressure and ways to write in so many different ways from freelancing to having the book. I have a book deal now for the memoir. So that's a whole different piece than like pieces I would do for the Washington Post or Folders Travel. I've really looked for ways to have that legitimacy in other ways. So by being the best-selling author, by having these TEDx talks, I purposely look for these opportunities so that people can see me in a more serious light. And that's been an ongoing journey in my business and trying to also learn. Like there's so much to learn when you're a digital entrepreneur. You're constantly learning like SEO and new platforms and video content creation and email lists and funnels, like so much to learn. So it's been a process, but I've been doing it now full-time for four years. Uh, After the first year, I was able to replicate my attorney income with full-time remote work. So I was able to, you know, surpass my income and make more than I was making. And then now I'm making, you know, in the six figures and that's during the pandemic when travel completely killed everything. So that was, you know, really interesting to see. And I was very scared. And there were so many times where I was like, should I, should I like apply for a real job? (laughs) And so I'm happy to report that I've made it and I'm an LLC and I really foresee there being a lot of growth to the business. So yeah, it's it in a nutshell. That is a fantastic story. I feel a lot of the same things because I transitioned from becoming an actuary to becoming a full-time like Instagram influencer, which is not a real job in most <laughs> people's eyes. But I was telling my mom the other day that it took me like eight years to reach a certain threshold in my actuarial compensation. And it took me two years to reach that in revenue geo So 
there's there's a lot of possibilities in the world. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's I had a friend who wrote that on Facebook, like when somebody commented, like, oh, is being a blogger a real job? And he was like, those paychecks sure feel real, (laughs) you know, like it's insane the amount of money. And honestly, at the end of the day, I look at it all. All of that is a different skill set. Like Instagram, I look at as digital marketing and you're doing digital marketing when you're working with brands, you're doing that when you're working with tourism boards and you're doing it in a way where you're creating photos, short form video content, like informational graphics that they can be used in their conference materials and brochures and in their own websites. And that can drive, you know, actual measurable metrics of how much traffic you've driven to them. So it's really powerful and it's a real tool that businesses are using and that has a real ROI if you know for these companies that's why they're spending the money on it it's not for giggles you know there's a reason why influencer marketing is going to be one of the biggest you know growing networks so I do think it's legitimate I like to I, I get nervous by with all of the income streams the chance of it all, right? Like you have to pitch constantly, you have to, you know, seasonality for things. And so I like to always have different income streams. So when there's ups and downs, like I love my passive income for my blog. It's one of the most amazing things. And I know people that are making so much money off of ads on their blog. And I get nervous because I know there's ups and downs. And so when people are traveling, my blog's going to be off the roof, but maybe it's going to lose like a thousand or two thousand a month in revenue when it's on the off season. And so I like to try to balance that with as many different income streams as I can. Currently, I I have about seven and again, can be challenging to maintain all of them. I want to make them more passive than not, but there's no denying that my, my most lucrative income streams are definitely brand deals because the amount of money that you can charge for these materials that they would honestly are getting a deal because they're getting amazing content. They're getting it you know, really tailored to them and their audience. They're getting a say in how it's done and they're getting to use it. You know, they get rights to have it in all different places. So I think it's a deal for the companies and I think it's great for the influencers that are able to monetize and take that money and and use it wisely. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Puerto Rico, which I think is one of like the most Instagrammable places ever. There's so much culture, so much food. It's gorgeous. Just look at nature and the architecture in the area. If somebody wants to visit Puerto Rico, what do you think are some of the best airline routes or ways to get there in points and miles? Sure. So the good news is that Puerto Rico is very easily accessible. You do not need an extra, you don't need a passport. You don't need a different phone line. You don't need to change currency. It's part of the U.S., the U.S. territory. It's closer than Hawaii in many cases. You know, it's really accessible from the East Coast. It's a nonstop flight from Atlanta, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, New York, Charlotte, like a lot of different places along the East Coast, Philadelphia, Boston. And so you can really easily get there on JetBlue, Spirit, Frontier, Delta, United, all the major airlines fly there. There are three airports. So San Juan, Luis Munoz Marin International Airport, SJU. That's the main airport. It's the airport in the capital. It's where most people fly into. There's also Aguadilla, which is on the west coast of the island. So if you're somebody who likes surfing, if you're somebody who likes just like really epic sunsets and like the vegan, like beachy vibes, like that's for you. And then there's 
Ponce at the south of the island. And that airport has limited routes, but they do offer, JetBlue has a nonstop route to New York and Ponce. So that could also be a way where you could maybe get different point valuations than on the SJU route if it's not as crowded or they're just, you know, on the different fares. So something to check out for when you're traveling there. How easy is it to get around Puerto Rico? Because I've been a couple times and we normally stay in the San Juan area. I think we rented a car once and drove around and they gave us the largest vehicle I think my husband's ever tried to drive on these like tiny little country roads as we were trying to drive around into like El Junge tropical forest. So how easy is it normally? I want to say that we had a weird experience and that it's usually easier to get from city to city. So that does sound weird, although potentially they wanted you to have like really big tires and the ability to get over rough terrain. So it doesn't sound like too bad. I would go personally, if I was flying into SJU, my favorite is Charlie Car Rental. They're a local rental company. I think they're a subsidiary or a partner of Avis and they're just good. They're generally reliable and they'll have normal sized vehicles. It is easy to get around the island in that it's small, but it's not you know, it doesn't, it can sometimes take a while depending on traffic, depending on how developed the roads are. If you're going to the center of the island and the mountain area, that will obviously take more than going on highways in the metro area. But I do absolutely encourage that you get a car unless you're going to just be staying in San Juan and you can rely on ride shares and things like that. It can get costly. I think a car is great to have flexibility to see the island and really appreciate it for what it has to offer. So you can drive to the southwest of the island and see pink lakes. You know, you can drive to the middle of the island and go on the one of the largest zip lines in the world at Torobede de Adventure Park. You can go to the north side of the island and go to different farms and see, you know, cheese being made and, you know, taste a lot of things fresh from the farm. And there's a lot of fun things that you can do in Puerto Rico and having a car will just open the island that much more for you. Don't rely on public transportation. Like we don't have trains, like buses, like any of that. You won't find that. I mean, there there may be like a, a visitor trolley in Old San Juan, but as far as legitimate, reliable across the island public transport, just not, not there, unfortunately. So don't rely on that. And book your car early. These are all really good tips for <laughs> getting around the island. So if somebody is saying, okay, that sounds complicated. I'm just going to pick a really good points and miles resort, and I'm just going to camp out there. What are some of the best ones that people should look into? Absolutely. So you have options. One of the newest ones that just came out, and it's actually the place where Love Island, the new TV show that's being filmed, is the Hyatt Regency Grand Reserve. So that's on the east coast of the island in Rio Grande, close to the rainforest, a nice place to camp out. Possibly another option for you would be to be by Distrito T-Mobile. So if you're coming for an event, they actually had the New Year's like ball drop the first Puerto, the first New Year's Rocking Eve ball drop in Spanish that was held in Puerto Rico last year for 2021 to 2022 was at the T-Mobile. So if you're coming for an event like that, there's a share in there that's part of, I believe, the Marriott Bonvoy property. And so you should be able to easily be, you know, redeem your points there. You also have lots of other 
fancy hotels in the area that you might want to look into in general if you just want to camp out for a little while, for a little bit. The Conquistador just reopened after about five years of being shut down post-hurricane. So it's a really historic, beautiful hotel. Also, maybe you want to go somewhere on the West Coast, right? In that case, an alternative would be looking into really unique rentals. There's a lot of dome rentals or in Utuado, you could find kind of um, lake houses that these full floor to ceiling windows that open up on the lake and you're right on the water. And so you have lots of options on accommodations and where you want to hold up. If you just want to be somewhere and not go anywhere and just get food and, and you know, stay on the beach, you can absolutely do that. I know a lot of people who listen to this are on Team Hyatt. So like you mentioned, there's the Hyatt Regency, Grand Reserve. That's only 15,000 points a night. And the random day that I looked at in September, it's like $315 a night. So that is an excellent use of a category one through four certificate. There's the Hyatt Place San Juan, Hyatt Place Bayamon, which is only 8,000 points per night if you wanted to stay there, or it's only $141. So honestly, the cash rate might be pretty good too. And then you have some SLH hotels like the Olive Boutique Hotel, or if you wanted to try the Hyatt Residence Club in Dorado near Hacienda Del Mar, you have a lot of different options. And I'll, I'll give a shout out too to the Caribe Hilton. So they are a really historic hotel that you'll have a pina colada when you arrive. It's awesome. And they have a kind of cornered off area of the water. So you can swim in the salt water without having to deal with the rip currents or waves or anything super crazy. So that's a really nice place if you have any Hilton points. And if anybody wants a boutique hotel where you're like, I just want to use my Chase Sapphire Reserve $300 credit, or I want to book something using my $300 credit through the Capital One Venture X portal or like an Amex Fine Hotels and Resorts. I'm not sure if this one is on FHR, but I have a soft spot in my heart for the San Juan Water and Beach Club Hotel because that's where I got married. It was a boutique hotel. It's six minutes from the airport. So we chose that one because I told my family that if they were in a taxi for more than 10 minutes, something went wrong. And it's got like a bright blue light shining out from the rooftop. So you can see it from the airport. It's right next to the public beach. So really easy. And the the chef there has won so many different awards. So even if you're not staying at that hotel, if you want to stop by the San Juan Water and Beach Club Hotel just to get a bite to eat, they have excellent food in their restaurant on the ground floor and also on the rooftop bar as well. So shout out to them because I got married there. That sounds beautiful. I absolutely need to check them out. I've, I think I've been there once, but not really spent the night, just kind of visited. I will also say La Concha Resort. It's really popular and has an iconic seashell right on the water that's used for wedding venues. So when you talked about your wedding, it made me think about it. They're also a Marriott property and they're seaside, you know, really gorgeous rooms and that now the seashell is going to be turned back into a restaurant because it been a wedding venue during COVID, but now it's going to be back into a restaurant. So definitely something new to check out. And that's always a new and happening resort. 
So I would absolutely also look into the Copa Marina. They're in the Southwest coast and they are a beautiful facility also known for weddings because they're right on the beach and they are near Gilligan's Island. So you can just kayak out there. They have all kinds of activities, you know, the pools that always have music going and they have ping pong and they have water activities and they have cabanas by the beach. So that's where my boyfriend and I like to go and just camp out for a weekend if we want to get away and have like a romantic stay somewhere. And they're with the best Western Rewards program. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about excursions and food. I know one of the most popular things to do in San Juan is to visit Old San Juan, do a food tour because the food is excellent in Puerto Rico. We'll talk about Mofungo in a little bit and how it's the best thing ever. But yeah, talk about excursions and food and what are some of the things that you most recommend to people who are visiting? Absolutely. So a food tour is a great way to get to know the city. In Old San Juan specifically, spoon tours, like the utensil, they are phenomenal and they will do a really good job of taking you around the city. They'll take you to taste mofongo, a famous, you know, ice cream, different avocados, tostones, pastries. It's really wonderful. And they give really great context about the architecture, the history, everything in general, like just a really well done tour. And there's also so many food spots around the island, right? Like you have the pork trail, the Lechon Trail in Guabate, which is in the mountains. And so you go and there's lots of different shops and they all sell pork and they have live music and it can be really bustling during the weekends. There's places like Naguabo where you can go and there's a bunch of different like restaurants that just serve seafood because the fishermen go there. And so they'll also sell you the seafood itself if you just want to buy ingredients for your own cooking. But they have a lot of different restaurants right on the water that serve fresh seafood there. And there's just, there's also farms, like I mentioned before, like Hacienda Chocolat in Bajardo. They do chocolate tours. So you get to see the cacao growing and harvesting process. You can do like chocolate and whiskey tasting. You have the cheese making at in Atillo, as, as I meant, at Baca Negra, Black Cow is how it translates, but they do their brand of local cheese here and they do that cheese wheel making experience. And then it like cures in their cellar for two months and then they send it to you after. Frutos de Guacabo is another local farm that has so many delicious, just like really unique locally grown ingredients. They were actually featured in Down to Earth on Netflix with Zac Efron when he came here to Puerto Rico. So he went to the farm there. So there's lots of different places, you know, in Rincon, if you are that way and you're surfing and catching the sunsets, make a reservation at Estela. That's one of the best restaurants here and, and really worthwhile. And they sell out, you know, they, they're booked so far in advance. Same thing with Marmalade in Old San Juan, which is a really fancy kind of like eight course meal and everything comes out just looking so delicate and beautiful and like an art piece in and of itself. And then like the really just hearty kiosk side of the road food too, right? Like pinchos and bacalaitos and empanadas, all of these like fried meats and cheeses. The Luquillo kiosks are very famous for that. They're on the East Coast and they're a series of shops that will have a lot of different kind of that classic Puerto Rican food for very affordable prices and very big servings. And they're right on the Luquillo beach. So lots of options for food in Puerto Rico. You will not go hungry here. Absolutely not. When I stayed at the San Juan Water and Beach Club Hotel, there was, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a fast food restaurant across the street called Gordito's. And it was an accurate description of what happened to me <laughs> because I ate a lot of Puerto Rican fast food. 
And one of my favorite Puerto Rican foods, not necessarily a fast food, but my fungo is like fried plantains. And then they, they fry the plantains, they mash it up into like a baseball and then they refry fry it again. And then they put fried meat, whether it's pork or chicken or even fried vegetables in there. And it's so good. If you're visiting Puerto Rico, you absolutely should try mafungo somewhere and most places will have it. And and absolutely. And the food here is very hearty and flavorful and delicious. If for any reason you get tired and you start to feel heavy, there are alternatives. It can be harder to find, but you can find healthy food. That's why some of the higher end restaurants I mentioned, I also forgot Bacoa. So actually BBC featured them and in an article titled, you know, is America's best restaurant in Puerto Rico. So they're really well known and they have fresh farm to table food. So it can be found. You don't have to only eat kind of the fried heavy food if it starts to wear on you after a couple of days, but it is harder to find because it's kind of easy to make and it can be much more affordable for restaurants and easier to find the the products it can be sometimes since we're on an island it can be difficult to find you know supplies for fancier things that's why these farms now pride themselves in growing rare fruits or the fishermen kind of come in with the hall and they it kind of gets you know right away and, and mostly the restaurants versus the supermarkets and things like that so can be a little bit difficult to find healthier foods here but not impossible if you know where to look and definitely some of the places i've mentioned will have you covered there's also fresh mart if you're just looking to get you know groceries for yourself that's the best place i would recommend to go and they have them scattered throughout the island. So if you see one and you know that you're going somewhere, if you are doing a, you know, just boarding yourself up somewhere and not leaving and just doing the beach life, it helps to have some ingredients because not everything here is open late. Some things close fairly early. So it can just be good to have backup snacks. Do all of the credit cards that we would expect to use in the U.S. also work in Puerto Rico? I'm thinking mostly Amex Gold as we're talking about all of the different food options and people are like, oh, I want 4X points on all of that. Does Amex work well on in Puerto Rico? It does. And they actually have different incentives too, where they, you know, give you back money if you shop at local businesses and they register pretty well. A lot of local businesses around me, like I was surprised I've been getting, you know, some cash back with spending. And so, yes, I, I do think that they work. It, there are some local vendors that maybe won't take Amex or that will be cash only. So that can still happen. And for those reasons, I would recommend having cash on you at all times just for, you know, in case you do want to get something at the side of the road or on the port trail and they don't have a machine that's working or they don't, they're not able to accept the card for whatever reason. But generally, that would be the exception, not the norm. I think for the most part, we're pretty, they want to find a way to be, you know, able to take everybody's payment because they want to conduct business. And so a lot of businesses are very like, you know, they're like, yeah, you can send us, you can pay with credit card, you pay with cash, you can pay with Apache Mobile, which is the like mobile, like phone to phone transfer there. You can pay with PayPal. <laughs> so they get really creative. So yes, I think you should, you should be okay with finding it in most places. Hey there. Some of the redemptions we talk about on this show sound incredible and aspirational. And I know Instagram can make it seem like points influencers are earning points effortlessly and endlessly. But the reality is that most people don't really have that much money to spend and don't want to open up that many credit cards. 
And I don't think the correct answer should be for me or any other influencer to just keep shilling out more cards while saying that sign-up bonuses are the end-all be-all. Am I wrong? On this show, we've discussed so many different ways to earn points while still staying within your budget. I'm actually putting together a series of tutorials with step-by-step guides for how to easily earn more points without opening 20 cards. If you're interested in getting early access and don't want to miss out on these strategies, check out geobreezetravel.com waitlist, which I have linked for you in the show notes. In the meantime, we also offer some next-level tips and tricks in the monthly masterclasses within the Patreon, and you can find a link to that in the show notes as well. This week's Patreon shout-out goes out to Pam. Thank you so much for being a part of the GeoBreeze Travel Patreon community. Outside of San Juan, how easy is it for people who don't speak Spanish? So I know that's a concern for a lot of people. Generally, most Puerto Ricans, unless they're like really isolated in the mountains or somewhere rural, they will have taken English in school growing up. So they will be familiar and know how to speak at least conversational English. They'll definitely at least understand you. So not difficult. I think it can be where it can definitely be a situation where somebody initially talks to you in Spanish and maybe you have to do some like Spanglish because there's definitely older people. And again, it depends on where you are that maybe haven't used English in a long time and aren't familiar with it. Or maybe they'll use like a current, you know, young child that they have nearby working or there for the business and they translate. Like if it's a family run business and there's a child that's like just hanging out for whatever reason. And so sometimes that's the case. But for the most part, it's it's pretty easy to get around because especially all the destinations you're going to, all the restaurants, all the anything you're actually going to do, people are going to be there to greet you, to sell you tickets, and they're going to be able to communicate with you. You know, even if you're going to the Kamui Caves, which are, you know, in a very rural place, you're going to like these ancient caverns and there's people there that communicate just fine. There's tours that are given to you in English, like the audio tours that you can listen to. So absolutely, you know, it's a U.S. territory signs, U.S. you know, road signs are all in English. And so it's, it's pretty easy to get around. So I think we've covered airplanes and hotels, food, excursion, anything else about Puerto Rico that you'd like to share before we wrap up? I just think people write it off and they maybe think of Puerto Rico as not a fun international, like different destination, not realizing how much culture there is here, not realizing how much eco, you know, diversity there is. If you're somebody who likes nature, we have a rainforest, we have bioluminescent bays, we have gorgeous mountains. If you're somebody who likes beaches, we have one of the top 10 beaches in the world here in Fleming Beach in Culebra. If you're somebody who likes nightlife, you know, San Juan has places where you can dance salsa and listen to live music and just be out in these streets. So at night and and, and like the really beautiful, colorful streets that you'll enjoy walking through. So it's a It's a place that has a lot to offer. And I think a lot of people don't realize just how much or maybe don't think to look into it. So I hope that with this episode, you'll consider coming to Puerto Rico. Perfect. And if you had to wrap up all of your points and Miles' knowledge or Puerto Rico knowledge into one tip to share with everyone, preferably that we can fit on an Instagram quote card, what would your number one tip be? I would say book early and beware of hurricane season Ooh, when is hurricane season that's a good tip (laughs) that is a good tip 
It is usually from July to November. Yeah, I had my wedding at the end of June. And I just remember I was at the top floor looking out into the ocean from this hotel. And thunder was just striking into the ocean. And the lady doing my hair was just like, hmm, no te preocupes. And I was like, okay, well, you know, a little worried, but okay. And it actually worked out really well because it rained and thunderstormed that moment, that morning. And then it cleared out the beach. So we had everything to ourselves. There were no people in the background by the time we had the wedding in the afternoon. So it worked out fine. But yeah, July, August, September, October, it can be a little bit dicey with the weather. So January, February, spring break time is really good weather to go. And that's when most people will come. So that's when you'll see the price hikes, the most crowds. That's definitely when you want to plan ahead. Rental cars just skyrocket. In October, maybe you'll pay 300 a week. After that, no less than 1000 a week. You know, And now, even more so, like with the demand being crazy, like this was pre-pandemic prices. So I think it, it can really be volatile. So you want to secure as much as you can early. Yeah, and just know that it, it's... It's a worthwhile trip. It's an easy trip to make and, and you won't regret it. You'll love Puerto Rico. There's a lot to love on La Isla de Encanto. Great advice. And speaking of great advice, can you give a shout out to somebody else in the world of points and miles that listeners should go follow for awesome points and miles tips? Yes, I will give a shout out to my friend Lee Huffman from Bald Thoughts. He also runs a podcast, We Travel There. So I was on that show talking about things to do in Miami, where I went to college. And he is phenomenal. He's spoken at FinCon. He'll be speaking there again this year. He also has a background in banking uh, in California. He moved to Tennessee to be a freelance writer. And he has been having a much more abundant life there and a much more abundant career now as a as a points person and a money person and just in general a really great person to follow if you want to know about credit cards travel hacking and how to travel smarter fantastic and where can we find you on the internet so you can find me at jenonthejetplane.com and across all socials, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, on that same handle at jenonthejetplane. You can also find my books on Amazon under Jen Ruiz. Perfect. Well, thank you, Jen, so much for coming on to the show and talking about the magical island of Puerto Rico, which is actually, I don't think a lot of people know this, a lot of different islands that are kind of like connected to each other because we didn't even talk about like Vieques or any of those other islands. But yeah, fun fact, Puerto Rico is actually a whole bunch of islands and everybody should go visit there because it really is such a fantastic place. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly Masterclass Hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. 
If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels.